Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live at Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media or to tune into our live stream services, visit us online at calvaryco.church or download our free Calvary Church app. Now here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Take your Bibles, open them, would you, to Acts chapter 14. We're going to pick up where we left off last time, finish the chapter today, Acts chapter 14, and I've entitled the Bible study today, Five Important Keys to Help Disciple Someone. Five important keys, and as I look at my notes, it's actually eight important things, but I have them listed as five, but I'll give you eight words that will help you remember how to be more useful in these relationships with your brothers and sisters in Christ. We often refer to them as discipleship relationships. There's a mandate that Jesus gave in Matthew chapter 28. He said to go into all the world and make disciples. And it's a Bible word, it's a church word, so let me define it for you if you're new to church or new to the Bible. The word disciple simply means learner. It has the idea that you have uh, submitted yourself to someone to learn from them. And in making disciples, it, it presupposes that you'll be sharing the gospel, men and women will be born again, and then you immediately enter into this discipleship relationship with Jesus himself. It is not primarily, primarily a relationship with a church, although God uses churches. And it's not primarily a relationship that you have with a pastor, although God uses pastors. When you and I are disciples, we are primarily disciples of Christ. What that implies is, is that you have a lot to learn, and I have a lot to learn. It is a lifetime of learning. That means what I currently believe today about certain things, when I bring them to the Bible, and the Bible shows me another way to believe or the right way to believe, I have no other choice than to adopt what God has for me, where he is changing my mind into the image of Christ. He is renewing my mind, washing my mind. So that's why regular Bible study, I think, is God's will for us because we live in the world, we deal with the world, the culture, the pressure, the, the social media, the internet, all of this stuff bombarding us. And you may not realize what a heavy burden it is because it's just been slowly, 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 slowly like that proverbial frog in the kettle where the heat is turned up little by little. But there's a lot of pressure today on adults, on teenagers, on kiddos, and we need to yield ourselves to the word of God. And I wanna help you understand that it involves a relationship that you have with others, a discipleship relationship. That's where we are here in Acts 14. We're in that place where the Bible students commonly call this the first missionary journey of Paul. On this one, he has Barnabas with him, and he also had a young man named John Mark with him temporarily, but he's on his first missionary journey. If you count them in the book of Acts, there's the, most people come to the conclusion that he had four of them. Some people stop at three, but four missionary journeys mentioned in the book of Acts that God has chosen to use Paul, who we met as Saul of Tarsus, which reminds us that God can do anything and anyone at any time but today we're reminded that it can be hard to fulfill the will of God for your life. Following this first missionary journey, 
we see there was a lot going on, but also a lot of pain, a lot of difficulty. Let me show you what I mean. Turn back to verse 19 of chapter 14. It says, the Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there, and having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul. You could, you could say that they sought to murder this man. This was the reward for him laying his life on the line for God, going to another city, sharing the love of Jesus Christ, seeing lives changed. This was his reward. They stoned him. They sought to murder him. They dragged his body out of the city, it says in verse 19, and they supposed him to be dead. However, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and went into the city, and the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. So each time you see these words, these are different cities. If you have a paper Bible, most paper Bibles in the back have maps. And I looked at mine last night. Uh, There is a map that shows all the missionary journeys with the arrows and the different places in Asia Minor and Rome and in Europe there that God used Paul in and as a missionary. So here he is. He's in the city. The reward for his labor is that they tried to kill him, and they're not even sure if he really died or not. It says here that they supposed him to be dead, but I want to show you something. Would you turn over to 2 Corinthians with me? 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, and Paul is referring back to this episode when he writes to a church in Corinth, so 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and look what he says. He, tells, he says to the church, and describing this, he says, it's doubtless not profitable, this is verse one of chapter 12, it's not profitable for me to boast, I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body, I do not know, or whether out of the body, I do not know, God knows, such a one was caught up to the third heaven. And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know, God knows, how he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words which is not lawful for a man to utter. Paul looks back on this episode and he begins to talk in the third person because of what he's dealing with in this, with the, this letter to the Corinthians. He's talking about himself in the third person. And when he looks back on this, he goes, I don't even know if I died. Maybe I was out of the body and I died for a moment. Maybe I was still in the body, but I do know this. It was a hard season. It was very difficult what they did to me, but out of it came something good. And that's important to remember. Out of it came something good. Because when pain comes our way, we need to remember out of it something good is going to come. We need to learn how to rejoice even in the difficulties in life. Notice I'm using my words very carefully. I'm not saying to rejoice for the difficulties, although sometimes you're even able to do that. But I am advocating what the Bible teaches to learn how to have joy. This is just... This is a work of God's Holy Spirit in the life of the believer, how God is able to transform our pain into joy. How he's able to take something that we don't want and we don't like and we wish it wouldn't happen. I mean, think of Paul. Think of Paul here. 
I mean, the guy had no, nothing but good motives. He's not like he was in Acts 9 trying to go to a city and destroy lives. He's trying to help lives now. And what's the reward? They chase him around. They gossip about him. They slander about him. And then a group of guys decide they want to kill him and really go for it trying to do that. And whether he died or not, we don't know. But the effects sure look like it. And here he is years later going, you know what? I remember this time. And I remember that event. And you know what God did? He gave me a vision of heaven. I got to see things and what I needed to see things. I didn't even know I needed to see these things. And God gave me a gift, even though it was a very troubling time. James understood this. You can jot it down in James chapter 1 and verse 2. It says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the test of your faith produces patience, But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. This is the place of maturity and a yielding to the work of God in your life when you and I can obey this verse. Count it all joy when I fall into various trials. There are often things in my life that I don't like. There are things in my life right now that I don't like that have been ongoing for quite a while. Things that are newer that I wish I didn't have to deal with, that I wish, you know, I don't like drama and I don't like difficulties and I I don't like unresolved things and that just seems to be the life of a pastor. That's what a life of a, I've been called to everything that is hard for me, Uh, which is part of my discipleship, isn't it? Because you could say the same thing in your life. It's how God uses this role to help me grow up and to trust him more. But they're just things I don't like, things that are miserable, they stink. However, I can still rejoice in the Lord for who he is and what he's doing. And I can count my life all joy. I can do that by faith. For those of you that are with us on Wednesday nights, you see this in the life of Joseph. Joseph, if anyone in the Bible could say this to us today and and whose testimony would have strong validation, like if we gave him the pulpit for a weekend and Joseph gave and shared his whole life story, he would tell you this on the other side. We have this episode, we've been studying his life for the last few months as we finish up the book of Genesis. And we came to the place where he finally gets to see his brothers. And if you're unfamiliar with this man named Joseph, as a young man, his brothers, so jealous of him, they sell him. Uh, they, They sell him to slave traders. They were gonna kill him, but they changed their mind. Decided not to kill him, instead spare his life. They sold him to slave traders. Those guys sold him to a guy named Potiphar. He's serving in this guy's house, and the guy's wife accuses him of rape. He gets thrown in prison, and by the way, it was false completely lie. She was going after him. He wasn't participating. He, he runs away uh, and is not, he's willing to, to run away naked from this. That was his attitude towards sin. What was the result? They threw him in prison. He met a couple guys in prison, shares his story. They get out and he tells them, hey, when you get out, make sure that you remind them that I'm in prison. And he's got that hope that they're going to advocate for him and they forget him. So there he is languishing in prison. I mean, he went from problem, not some little problem, not some little difficult. He went from problem after problem after problem after problem to finally where God really wanted him. And that was second in command in Egypt in a very trying time in the history of mankind. A severe famine came that was going to last for seven years. And God strategically placed Joseph where he wanted him 
using all the painful circumstances, deep, deep things. So now God has arranged for his brothers to stand before him and he's there as the leader in Egypt and he looks at them. And you know, if we read ourselves into the text, uh, we may make mistakes on what happened because if it was us, we might look at them and be upset and want revenge, which are natural reactions, but not spiritual reactions. Joseph looks at them and he tells them, you sold me as a slave. And again, if we read into it, we could go, you guys, you, know, you can think of all the way you would say it, but it's not recorded the way you say it. It's recorded the way Joseph said it. And it's very simple. You sold me as, as a slave, but God sent me. That's what he said. I know what you guys did. I know. You know what you did. I know what you did. And he summarized it in a little phrase. You sold me. But God gets the final word. And while you sold me and nothing good came, nothing good was on your mind for me, I just want you to know, Joseph says, I know that God was in it. And I can count it all joy because God sent me ahead. You sold me, but God sent me. And that's an important perspective that we must have in life. Because hard things are going to come. They're going to come in our life. They're going to come in our family. They're going to come in our neighborhood. They're going to come in our house. They're going to come in the workplace. That's life. And here's the thing for the Christian. You need to hear this out loud. For the believer and dwelt by the Holy Spirit, you need to understand this. If you want to make it, you're going to make it. If you want to get through this, you're going to get through this. God is ready to encourage and strengthen and help you in everything you desire to do. As a matter of fact, if you want to endure through trials, that desire to endure came from God. You're cooperating with him, and he's ready to help. However, if you don't want to make it, you won't. You'll throw in the towel and you'll give up. I think of believers, you know, when it comes to alcohol, you know, just totally, totally drunk all the time, but wanting to get free. And they walk in to a sanctuary like this just thinking, I don't think it's ever going to happen. I, I've tried, I've tried, I've tried. But for the one that's born again, I have the privilege to look him in the eye and say, oh no, not only do you desire it, but God is ready to deliver you from it. Not only is God ready to deliver you, but through the blood of Jesus Christ, you are already delivered from whatever addiction, pornography, alcohol, you know, you're angry, punch holes in the wall, whatever, whatever it is. If you want it in Christ, you can have it. But if you want to keep living the way you're living, That's the kind of life you want to live. You you just want broken relationships. You want everybody upset, and and then you want to drown it out. And you just—if that's what you want—then God says, "Go ahead, live that life." But I have something so much better for you, so much greater, so much grander. Life is available to you on a higher plane. I was just talking to someone right after service. We were just talking about his family. He was showing me, actually, I saw his tattoos and I asked them about them. I wanted to know why he did them. And they were names of his family. And, and one of them was of his dad that passed away a couple years ago. And he was sharing testimony about sobriety and about how God gave him victory. It was a really great conversation. And, and then we were able to say, you know, look, I, I, I was able to look him in the eye and go, you know what? One thing I learned in my life is that I'm a better man when I'm sober. I'm a better man. He goes, oh, you know what? That's my testimony too. And I'm like, yeah, that's a testimony for everyone. You are a better person, a better woman. 
when you are able to look someone in the eye in a sober mind and be who you are, and especially if you're born again, this is so powerful. Like, if you want to make it, whatever you're facing today, you're going to make it. You, you can make it through. God is ready to help you. But if you don't want to make it, you're just one more decision. I mean, you're so close to even falling away from the Lord, running away from his strength. Because there's a difference when you think of joy and happiness, there's a difference between the two. We often confuse them. So when the Bible says count it all joy, you kind of interpret that. Well, you mean I have to be happy for everything? No, you don't have to be happy for everything. Happiness is different than joy. Happiness is directly related to happenings. That's how I want you to remember it. Your happiness and mine almost always is associated with something, something that happened. So if something good happened, then I'm happy about it. You know, if you see someone that, hey, how are you doing today? I'm pretty happy. When you ask the question why, they're almost always going to say, well, there's this situation. I mean, I just got a raise. That's why I'm happy. Got a new car. I'm happy. Uh, God's working. My, I'm happy because happiness is dependent upon happenings. So that when you have a bad day, we all know it. You know why? Because you're not happy. And you have reason to be. And there's a roller coaster. If you're, and you guys know this, those of you that live on the emotional realm, you're more emotional than most people, you know this. This is your daily life. Happy, sad, happy, sad, happy, sad. Because you're so affected by your happenings. And what God is offering you today is, even if you have happiness and sadness because of your happenings, you can count it all joy, no matter what. And joy is different than happiness because joy is inward. It's a peace and a contentment and an ability to take joy in God no matter what comes our way. That he is able and he is faithful and he keeps his promises, and that everybody goes through things, but I have hope in what God has shown me that even in the worst of the worst, there's new life on the other side. This is what's happening with all that in mind in Acts 14. This is one of the messages that Paul is taking. He's delivering it, I'm sure, differently than I just did, but he's taking the same word and delivering it to areas that have never heard it before that salvation has come to your city. It says in verse 21 now, and when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, there's that word again, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, again, there's that word, exhorting them to continue in the faith and saying we must through many tribulations Enter the kingdom of God, which is what I just spent time sharing with you. I, that Paul summarizes it in one phrase. We must, through many tribulations, enter into the kingdom of God. That is part of life. But you can take one of two approaches to that, right? You can be the one that goes, we are going to go through many tribulations and maybe get to the kingdom of God one day. And where are people that emphasize the many tribulations? But you know what I read in this text? We will must through many tribulations. We're going to enter the kingdom of God, church. That's the key. If we're going to enter in. We're going to be in the presence of the Lord. We're going to see all of our desires fulfilled in the presence of God. And many tribulations are going to come along the way. 
It all depends on your perspective. And perspective is important, as we'll see in a moment. So it says in verse 23, when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And after they passed through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia. And when they preached the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. And again, a Bible map will help you see all these things and watch where they were going. These are, we're reading the text in a couple seconds, but we're talking days and weeks and months of travel here of where they're going and to the different places that they come to before they get back home. So for our time here, I've got a couple things to share with you in our remaining time before we do share in communion together. And I wanna talk about this discipleship aspect of your relationship with others. It's important that every Christian listening to my voice today have someone in their life that they are helping grow in following Jesus. It is very important. It is not reserved for me to have someone in my life that I'm helping because I'm the pastor. No, it's for all of us. Every Christian should have someone else in their life that they are helping to grow in their Christian walk. Just as much as every Christian should have someone that doesn't know Christ, that you can then share the hope of Jesus with them, these are the types of people that you should have in your life. You should also have someone in your life that's helping you. We call these discipleship relationships. The world's been using the word mentor, but it's more than a mentor. You're helping someone grow and answer questions and help them understand what the Bible's saying and what does it look like in their life so that you're learning and teaching, teaching and learning. I like to share it with the team here, but I wanna share it with you. To change your thinking a little bit, that when you face issues with other people and you have issues with other believers, I want you to think of it this way. I want you to think of it as a discipleship moment rather than a problem. I mean, it is a problem, but let's set that aside for a second and say this is an opportunity to help somebody see Jesus more clearly, whether it's through correction, instruction, whether it's through prayer. And I want to give you, uh, it was five things, but once I looked at the words, I want to give you eight things, eight ingredients that are going to help you in this discipleship relationship. You, this is a must. The Bible says to go and make disciples. This is not a mandate to a church like just a large church like ours. It's for every single individual that you and I are sharing and experiencing the joy of not only seeing people get saved, but also to watching them grow in the grace of Jesus. So I want to give you eight things, eight things and we'll go through them from the text here that will help you in your discipleship relationships with others. Number one, notice in verse 23, or excuse me, in verse 22, they went back. But, but first of all, let me, let me say this in verse 21. They went back, notice, to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch in verse 21 because those churches have already been established. So after they've established their church, now they're heading back home, but they're heading back home to go help these new believers. That's what's happening here. And as they choose to help these new believers, notice what they're doing. The first thing that they do in verse 22 is strengthening the souls of the disciples. In discipling others and encouraging others or helping others, you need to strengthen the brethren, strengthening. I believe this was done through the teaching of the word of God. This is the tool, God's word. This is the tool, not, not your opinion, not what you think about it, not what your experience has been, 
The tool of strengthening souls of brothers and sisters is through the word of God. It's, import, it's impossible to grow spiritually and to be strong apart from God's word. And it's one of the many things, there's a lot of things I can do for you, I can help you, but that's one of the things I can't do for you is read the Bible for you. Like, this is something you have to desire. It's something you have to make that choice in your own life to take the word of God as it is, God's word to you personally. Read it so that you might understand it. The church, according to Acts 2.42, was already continuing steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in prayer, in the breaking of bread, and in fellowship. Now they needed to be strengthened. And disciples, they get stronger by diving into God's word. You can jot it down in Hebrews chapter 12. In verse 12, it says, Therefore strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees that make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated but rather be healed. And that's how a lot of times folks, you guys walk into the church. I do myself at time, from time. I'm just weak and tired, had a long week, had a hard week, had a difficult day, whatever it might be. And it's good. It's something about being with other believers. You know, this is this discipleship relationship. Hap, you know, I'm inviting you into it all the time. Like, like there'll be times where at the end of a service, I'll say, you know, the pastors will be up here to pray, but you don't need the pastors because you can pray with one another. That's an invitation for a discipleship connection. That's an invitation for you to be used in, their, in someone's life. It's an invitation for you to be involved in a small group, like a life group, or to come with the men or the women, or to be a part of the marriage ministry where you're looking for these relationships that are possible. You're not going to make them happen. They're not going to artificially happen. But the more you present yourself to God, the more you will be in other people's lives and the desire to strengthen them. Because you look in the eye, you can see today's not a good day. You can just see it. Even if they don't give it to you, you can see it, you can pray for them, you can stand, stand in the gap with them. We need to be strengthened from time to time, and the primary way that we get that is from each other through God's word. Number two, notice what they did in this discipleship, what they did to the disciples and with the disciples. It says in verse 22, the next word is exhorting them to continue in the faith. So I got two words for this, ex- exhorting and comforting. So, so far, strengthening exhorting and comforting. This is what disciples need. They need to be exhorted and comforted. Now, along with teaching always comes exhortation. Exhortation can also be, this word in the original language could also be translated comfort. Same Greek word. Sometimes it's translated exhort. Sometimes it's translated encourage or comfort. And it really depends on the context. But exhortation almost always includes strong calls to action or warnings or be careful. And the church needs exhortation today. We need to move out on what we know. And that's really the proof of real faith, a person doing what they believe. And because your beliefs have changed, your behavior is going to change. Sometimes your behavior changes so much, people don't believe you. Oh, I remember where you came from, and I remember your reputation. I remember, yeah, that's where I came from, but I'm a new creation in Christ. My mind has changed, and because my mind has changed, it's reflective that my life has changed, and the way that we know that is your behavior has changed, because you and I, we always, we always, our beliefs always dictate our behavior. 
That's why Jesus would say, you know a tree by its fruit. All you need to do is wait it out and watch and you will see the reality of a person. Just wait it out and watch because their behavior will take them back to what they believe. We need to be exhorted and comforted. Remember we were talking about gossip recently, what a horrible sin it is. And let's look at this in the context of a discipleship moment. You want to get, to brother, get together with a sister or a brother at the coffee house, so you show up there, you're there all by yourselves against the wall at the table, and there you are talking, and all of a sudden they start to gossip. And remember, gossip takes two. So you got the talker and the listener, and then they're gossiping, and let's say you're the listener, so they're telling you stuff, and then you're hearing it, and you're like, I don't think this is right, but you're like, no, I need to know more. And then you ask more, and now back and forth, you're going, you got the talker, you got the listener, and maybe then you add some stuff, and it's just not from the Lord, ever, never, never. Here's the gift of exhortation in that. One of you needs to stop it and tell the other person, to stop it. That is discipleship. It's not discipleship to carry on with other people's sins and just kind of let it go. That's not the responsibility of a believer. You, you and I, we are encouraged, we're told in the Bible to have nothing to do with the unfruitful works of darkness. And so the reality of exhortation is so important. Sometimes it comes through comforting. Sometimes the delivery is different. But here, he, they needed... For them in particular, notice what they needed to do was continue. You see that in verse 22? That was the, we know what he was talking about. And it makes sense because in Lystra, they almost killed Paul. And then he left. He got to leave. They had to stay with those same people in that same environment. And the temptation to, hey man, this is not what I signed up for. This is not what I want. This is not, to, to just quit, Paul was sent back as they go through to strengthen them and to exhort them, no, keep going, keep going. Thirdly, notice, it says in verse 23, that when they had appointed elders in every church, this gives us our third point. It's not easily seen, but I wanna, I wanna show it to you uh, so that you can see it, and that's this. The church needed to be directed. So the word is directing. And, and really what, this, what, what I see here is that the church needed organization. It was young, and it needed leaders, and it needed elders, and so what Paul did is he, when he came back, he directed them, these are the guys you need to put in leadership, because that's what's going to help the church move forward. When it comes to one another, with each other, we need direction, or we need organization. This happened not too long ago. I had a, I had a young guy come up with all these questions. He said, I got all these questions, Pastor, all these questions. You know, when can we meet this week to answer all the questions? And I said, well, the offices are open. You can call, the, there's pastors here every day of the week. They would love to talk to you about that. But, but we're here right now. So why don't you take out you know, all your questions and just give me the most important one. Just tell me the most important one on that list. Uh, and we'll sit down and I'll try to answer it for you. And so he asked the question, I gave the answer, and I'm like, hey, I got more time. What's the second most important question on this list? And I'll tell you why. What I was doing was helping organize for this young man that while he has all these questions, they all don't all have the same weight. They're not as important as each other. I was also sharing with him the difference between philosophical questions and biblical questions. You know, philosophical questions are questions we make up in our minds. What if and what about and they're hypothetical. Do you know the Bible won't answer all the questions you make up? Did you know that? It just won't. 
It, it, that, like you ask a question, you, go, you know, the Bible doesn't really say, but let me tell you what the Bible does say to help form your thinking. And so what I was doing with him is I was giving him some direction, directly or indirectly. Like I didn't sit down and explain this to him. I was just saying, hey, give me your question. Um, I see you have a long list, but I know that this list, of, like all these questions can be answered one way or another, but here's the most important one. Now the second most important one. And, and it's like, you don't have to live the rest of your life with all these unanswered questions. God's ready to help you. That's direction. You don't have to be intimidated, church. You can find the same answers. I think back to how long I've been walking with the Lord and the answers I used to give when I was a new believer compared to today, I mean, they're profoundly different, even though the content's pretty much the same. You learn over time so that when people come to you, you don't have to be intimidated. You can study, you can find the answers. You can help people. That's what Paul's doing here. He's bringing organization. And sometimes we just need to help people. This is how you live your life. This is what you do. This is how you answer, where you give direction to help a person apply what they've learned in the Bible. We give them biblical answers so that they can give biblical answers. Let's go to number four, or at least on the list, um, if we're counting words. One, two, three, four, five. The fifth and sixth word is found in the same thing in verse 23. It says, in these discipleship relationships, they prayed and fasted. And those are the words, praying and fasting. What do you do with other brothers and sisters? You pray and fast together. You don't wait for the church to do it. You don't wait for a call to fast. This is a normal Christian living. We say it all the time. Read your Bible, pray every day. Add to that fasting. If you're unfamiliar with biblical fasting, just go to our website or to our app and put the word fast in the search bar. I've taught on it in depth many times, and I will explain to you in depth what fasting really is. It's necessary. It's not like a diet option, fasting, or you you wanna slim down for an upcoming event. Biblical spiritual fasting is this. You give up physical food for the sake of seeking God spiritually. That's a basic definition. You are giving up food. And the best way to fast is to give up all food for an extended length of time, just taking in water. Now, of course, some of you will have to talk to a doctor and what your body might do, but if that's the highest level that you are able, then you deny, you you tell your body. Here's what happens. You're like, well, I don't understand how that could even be any significance. I could get through that. That's no big deal. But here's what happens. If you choose to fast, just say you're going to go, okay, pastor, I'm going to do it on Tuesday. I'm going to fast on Tuesday. Tuesday morning, the first thing on your mind when you wake up will be food. You, and then you'll remember, I made a commitment. Okay, Lord, I made a commitment. I'm not going to eat today. And then that just happens to be the, the day that your boss brings in donuts in the morning. And they're your favorite donuts, and they got them right where they want it, and they, you pick, and you're like, oh, No, 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 I said no, I'm not going to. And then about that time, you start to get these massive headaches. Because you know what's happening? Your body is saying, I don't like this, and I don't like you. So I'm going to remind you that I'm hungry, and I'm going to remind you that I'm in control. And when you fast, you shift everything. You, you, You flip the tables on yourself. Because here, whether you realize it or not, you and I have learned how to accommodate life basically getting what we want when we want most of the time. I know on occasion we don't, but we basically have adopted 
a lifestyle or try to have a lifestyle where we don't have any problems or worries, money in the bank or whatever, whatever it might be, we've accommodated. And, and really what, 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 what that translates to is you've also, with that mindset, you've also accommodated Christianity into your life. And so it's just one more thing you do and you've kind of fit it in. And fasting reminds you that that's not the way you want to live. Because you know, you'll get through it. Uh, the headaches will end. So you won't be so hungry anymore, and you'll be able, to, sh- you'll be able to, to look at your life and go, no, like I'm not eating right now. I'm going to spend extended time in prayer. And I'm not eating right now because, yeah, you know what? I don't have to be ruled by my body and my body appetites. Because while you have the physical body appetite of food, you know, your body has other appetites, like lust. And you just teach, you know what? I'm not going to live that way. Like alcohol, as we mentioned earlier, like whatever, you can learn through the spirit. God does something. It's not just some self-help thing. God does something when you present yourself to him. So when, it makes sense in your relationships with each other that when, you know, you might be walking with a brother or sister through a long trial, someone in that group says, I just need to, would you pray and fast with me? Because I, I, gotta, I, I gotta press into the things of God through this. And, and together you're praying and fasting. Together you're seeking the Lord. That's discipleship. This makes sense, doesn't it? Because this is how the missionary journey started in Acts 13. They came together. They sought the Lord together. God spoke. Paul and Barnabas were separated. And what did they do? They prayed and fasted and sent them off. What does Paul take with them? Prayer and fasting. I know I'm not going to ask for hands or anything, but I I 100% know that this is something that's lacking in most relationships in this, in this room right now. You might be praying for one another, you might use your Bible every now and again, but pressing into the things of God, praying and fasting, reminding yourself that you're not controlled by your body appetites, but you're controlled by the Spirit of God. Sometimes we just need a very practical reminder of that. And so what does Jesus say? When you fast. He expects it from us, and it's part of discipleship. And then finally, the last two words are found in verse 23 again. The last thing they did when, before they left was they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. They commended them. Uh, the two words I have for this is commending and encouraging. Now, commending in the English kind of like, like, like has the meaning of approval or you get a commendation. That's not the word here. It's an unfortunate translation. This would be, this word commending, the Greek word would be, the, this is the phrase we would often say, pointing people to the Lord. That's what he did there. As he heads out, he just says, you know, keep your eyes on the Lord. Don't forget you're saved. Don't just keep your eyes on the Lord. That's something we use all the time in church language. Like keep your eyes on the Lord. Point you to the Lord. This is what you need to see. That's what he's doing as he leaves. He goes, don't forget you are following the Lord. And you can see how all of these work together in helping us grow, that we can help each other grow if you just adopt these eight things, which at this point you're like, well, I don't even know where to begin. And if you're thinking that, I'm glad that you asked because I have a couple things that we have here in the church that we've had for years that are absolutely free. 
We're a resourcing church. We have them available up on the stage over here. And if you, wanna, if you want the PDF file itself, you can email me. I'll send you a link. And you can have the PDF. You can print off as many as you want. The first one is this packet called Biblical Principles for a Strong Foundation Discipleship Workbook. And here's what I suggest. You get two of these, or whoever you're sitting down with. You have one, they have one, and you go through it together. And you can apply all these things together. And this one in particular, it's gonna take you through the word of God of who is Jesus, uh, who is the Father, what a strong foundation means, who is the Holy Spirit, what is spiritual growth. It's all in here, and it's in small bite-sized pieces. And this is available for free. It'll help you personally, it'll help you with others. Another tool that we have here is what we give to everyone that responds to the gospel. It's this first steps booklet, 20 years in the making. Every year we improve it. It's taken us 20 years to put this together. And this is a booklet, a little bit different than that one, that answers the question, what do I do next? As a new believer, what am I supposed to do now? Well, those are great questions. We answer them here. We answer them on what what would be good to build a spiritual library, um, how to share your faith, on and on here. This is also something that you get a couple copies and you just go through it together and just talk about it. And you're gonna find all these eight principles, whether it's strengthening, whether it's exhorting, comforting, directing the brethren, whether it's praying, fasting, commending, encouraging, can come out as you have some guidance in the word of God and you, when you get together, you're really wanting to build each other up in Christ, learners and teachers. And these, the first steps booklet is also up here as, uh, at the stage, but also on the website. So if you scroll down on the website, on the bottom it says how to know God or something like that, the PDF is right there. You click it, click through, you can download it, print it out, use it uh, as a discipleship tool as much as you want. This is Paul. And this is our responsibility as well. Let's finish up and then we'll enter into communion. In verse 26, they sailed to Antioch. This is home base. So they're going back to Acts 13 where they left. Uh, They go back to Antioch where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work which they had completed. So the first trip is done. The missionary journey, the mission is done. So once the mission is done, it's time to go home. That's what they did. And then it says, when they had come and gathered the church together, they reported all that God had done with them and that he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles and they stayed there a long time with the disciples. So it was completed. They came back. You could call this the first missionary conference. It's kind of what we do on Wednesday nights. When missionaries come back, we want them to give a testimony of all that God has done through them. Uh, So we interview them up here on the stage and they share what God has been doing in their life. So they have this conference, they report, and I just want you to emphasize, I, 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 it's not directly explicit in the text, but I think it's pretty clear that the Holy Spirit used this phrase. It says they had reported in verse 27, all that God had done with them. And you know what I take from that is that they reported all the good things and didn't maximize, they maximized all the good things and minimized all the trouble. They minimized the trouble. I don't think they discarded it or ignored it, but they didn't make it the big deal. Oh, this trip was so hard. It was so difficult. I can't believe why we went. In this city, we had this and that. I mean, who's going to be a missionary with that kind of report? Like, didn't, didn't God tell you to go? Yeah, God told me to go and it was nothing. I don't think I ever want to go again. No, 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 no. Uh-uh. That's not from the Lord. What is from the Lord is, hey, look what God has done. Was it hard? Oh, it was hard, but look what God has done. So you know what that means on this trip? I think 
they reported the salvation of Sergius, not the, uh, the heavy resistance from Elimus, if you remember back in Acts 13. I think they reported all the open doors. I don't think they spent a lot of time going, oh yeah, you know, John Mark, he ditched us and deserted us. I don't think they drug another man's name through the mud. They just said, hey man, God's open doors. Uh, I, I think that they reported back how the Gentiles were begging for them to stay and don't leave. I don't think they reported too much how the Jews were following everywhere and the envy of the Jews stirred up the city against them. I think they reported the open door in Iconium, not the persecution that followed them, or the healing in Lystra, not the violent attempt on their life. And while I'm sure he talked about being stoned in Lystra because there was probably still evidence physically on his body that he was greatly hurt, close to death, if not death itself, I think he reported the faithfulness of God that there was still a church when he went back to visit and that they're doing well and they're continuing on in the faith. Which reminds me that our perspective on things is everything. The way we view things is everything. Do we focus only on the bad or are we also looking for the good? It's important that we make a habit to dwell on the goodness of God. And you know, the devil gets way too much attention and way too much credit. Joseph is a great example. You sold me, but God sent me. So let's get busy. We're not gonna go back and try to work it all out. There's forgiveness, there's healing, and we need to move forward. We, we need to move forward, allowing God to do that work. And so avoid the trap the enemy has set. It makes a difference. I guess you could say it this way. The next time you find yourself complaining about your job or murmuring about your finances or upset about where you live or unhappy with your marriage or frustrated with your kids or decisions are made that you don't like, whatever that might be, stop and begin to praise the Lord, not for what, he's a, not for what you don't like, but for what he's doing and his faithfulness in your life. It's perspective. Because otherwise, you're just going to live your life all beat up and upset and mad all the time, and, and things get worse that way, not better. Through many tribulations, you're going to enter into the kingdom of heaven, church. But emphasize, you're going to enter into the kingdom of heaven. <laughs> the whole world goes through many tribulations. All of Everybody suffers. But it's the believer that has hope. And I'm just blown away by the early church. I, I, I pray for so much. I want more zeal in my life. I want more boldness in my life. I want more faith in my life. That, that's what the book of Acts is doing with me. I, I, I want to see, I want to watch this unfold, not a carbon copy of the book of Acts, but what God's doing in my life. I want to see it. I want to experience it. It's one of the motivations I moved to Colorado. I want to see everything I hear. Everything I hear my pastor teach, God put in my heart. This is my gift in your life. This is what I want you to do. And you know what was matched in me? Lord, I want to see it. I, I want to be a part of whatever you want to do, wherever you take me. And whether it's across the street or across the country, it doesn't matter. And God is still working today. And that's why we're in the book of Acts, why, why we're studying, because God is stirring up this, this church for a new season of what's up ahead. And it's pretty exciting. What's waiting is you and where you stand on all this and what God wants to do in your life. But you know what? It's pretty exciting. You're going to have a lot of problems, a lot of troubles, a lot of difficulties. I could list out for me. I, I was talking to a pastor this week because I, I have a conference I'm going to be teaching at next year. And 
which is, uh, the, they gave me my assignment, which is really rare, rare. They rarely give assignments, but I got my assignment. And so you can be praying for me because it's in the first half of next year. I'm going to be teaching on suffering and ministry. And I was thinking through, this is a great text just to be reminded, everyone suffers and every believer is in ministry. It's just the way it is. And when you embrace God's will for your life, you'll get through it. You want to get through it, you'll get through it. And while it started out bad, God's going to use it, working all things together for the good. Amen? All right, Father, we pray for your spirit right now to make clear to us a heart. You know, the, the things that I'm sharing, that you would bring order in, and the, you would tie it all up for those listening to me right now, near and far, on the radio, on the internet, here in this room, downstairs. I pray, God, for the families that are represented, the kids, grandkids. I pray, God, for the extended families, the in-laws, the, the different folks that we're connected with. And I also pray for new discipleship relationships. I pray against this sense where guys and gals, they want to draw people to themselves. They want it all to be about them. They want it all to be so they can be seen and they can be known and they can be the one. It's just not you. And it's so obvious. So I just pray they would use all that time and energy to draw people to you and not try to sidestep. And some are not even in any relationship right now helping someone grow. So I pray you begin new relationships like that throughout the church. Here, there, and everywhere, Lord, that it doesn't have to be formal or on this property, but that we would be the church wherever we go. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Church. For prayer, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. To listen to this message in its entirety or to join us for our live stream services, visit us online at calvaryco.church or download our free Calvary Church app. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.